You're listening to 43 Feet, a podcast about leadership. We believe that real leading happens out front, but that usually means you're probably building the next 43 feet of good road for those behind you while you're running the race yourself. My name is Frank Schwartz, known in the gloom of the early morning as Dark Helmet to my F3 brothers. Make way for Dark Helmet. All rise in the presence of Dark Helmet. Every week, I'll be talking with leaders in and out of F3, including regular appearances for my shared leadership team. If I'm going to do this, I'll need my news team at my side. News team, assemble! We're here for candid conversations, to answer questions from around F3 Nation, to pontificate wildly, teach leadership, and otherwise attempt to help you navigate the next 43 feet. And we're back. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the 43 Feet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Frank Schwartz, uh, also known as Dark Helmet, uh, to you F3 junkies out there. And uh, this week, uh, we've got just a, a lot going on around the nation uh, and a lot, uh, a lot happening. And we have expanded. I don't know if you've seen some of the recent stuff. Um, that we've got out there, but uh, we, we've opened some locations uh, in Guam, of all places, uh, and we're looking at Morocco. Um, I, I don't even understand how some of these things happen, but uh, you guys keep moving around and keep planting flags, so um, we're happy to support, and, uh, and I think it's just important to note that this, this movement keeps growing. You know, we just keep, we keep moving forward and we keep spreading leadership to places where it has not been in terms of uh, an F3 um, focus on leadership and the way that we kind of approach leadership, just places it hasn't been before. And we're trying desperately uh, to flood the earth with virtuous leadership. And we've done a pretty good job, I think, of identifying uh, the fact that there is a leadership void. I think we've done a pretty good job of, of, even identifying you know, what that void is and kind of where, where some of the lack is. One of the things I think we haven't done a great job all the time, and, and we have QSource and we have a number of things that, you know, that, that we look at, but one of the things that we, I think we could do more of is have kind of a structured view and other resources that are out there to let us know kind of, hey, here's what leadership looks like, or here's kind of a, a different approach to leadership and a different way of thinking. And we do okay, again, in thinking of it in terms of like leadership, uh, in terms of ourselves or our families, or maybe even our community, but we don't always have a great sense of, well, how am I supposed to lead at work? You, know, you spend a lot of freaking time at work um, and uh, <laughs> with a lot of uh, a lot of responsibility and a lot of things there. We know we don't want to let work overtake us, but at the same time, if we can be effective in how we are leading at work, whether we hold the position or not, uh, if we can do that, then I think that also helps us in our our daily lives. And our our guest today, my guest today, is a man who is not unfamiliar at all uh, with that concept. Uh, John Rossman is a business strategist and operator. Uh, he's an expert on digital transformation and and leadership and and kind of business reinvention, and he's done that at a, a pretty high level for some uh, for some pretty amazing folks. Uh, not the least of which is, and I'm going to just rattle off a few. Let me know if you've heard of some of these kids, uh, right? Novartis, oh yeah, I've heard of that. Fidelity Investments, oh, maybe a little bit, right? Microsoft, Walmart, Nordstrom. I mean, come on. Senior Innovation Advisor at T-Mobile, Senior Technology Advisor to the Gates Foundation. And he also has his own uh, uh, practice, Rossman Partners, uh, which is kind of a, a small niche management consulting team and, and a set of trusted partners that helps clients 
compete and operate in that uh, that digital world in our digital era, right? And his big, I don't know if it's his biggest claim to fame, he'll probably uh, correct me on this one, but uh, a big, a very large claim to fame, just the same, is that he uh, he used to be a former uh, Amazon executive. And uh, again, hopefully you've heard of Amazon. You haven't been living under a rock for the past you know 20 years or whatever it's been, right? But he was a he was a key executive in launching the Amazon marketplace where everyone buys, oh, I don't know, everything that exists. I can't, my, I'm not even sure my wife knows what a store is anymore, right? I just have brown boxes that show up on my, uh, uh, on my, on my porch um, anymore. But that was back, again, I said like 20 years ago, and he, he launched that. And, and he's also written a couple of books. And these, this is kind of what we're here to talk to him about today, um, is, is some of the things that he's written down. Most prominently, The Amazon Way. Uh, that that book series. Um, he also uh, happens to have a newsletter, uh, the digital news leader, uh, digital sorry, the digital leader newsletter. Mess that one up on Substack, but uh, the Amazon Way is is the book that he's written and and that we're here to kind of chat about today. So, John, welcome to the Forty Three Feet Podcast. Frank, thank you very much. It's great to be here, and uh, I love your mix of kind of leadership and using. Um, athletics and exercise as one vehicle for helping uh, to build that and everything. So um, good, nice job. I appreciate that. And, and uh, John also is um, uh, outdoorsy would be a good, is that a fair characterization? <laughs> oh, I, I, active. Uh, active. I, okay, I, I'm fair. probably a little bit of a gym rat and a pool rat now yeah. and everything, but I do love getting out uh, and hiking uh, and some adventure uh, once in a while. But um, yeah, I, I probably spend a little bit too much time in a gym now. So we can help you correct that, John. As you, as you well know, we can we can hook you up with some guys who'll who'll uh, give you a pretty good workout outdoors. He also has some. Uh, he's passed on his athletic genetics to uh, his boys, who are, I mean, world class water polo players of all things. Yeah, you know, it's a niche little sport, uh, primarily California here, uh, but it's been a great um, community, uh, for not just for my boys, but for my family. And so it's been, it's been a lot of fun and a real blessing. It's kind of amazing. Water polo is just not one of those ones you think about very often, but, um, that probably, and I don't look, I had knee surgery last year. Uh, I had both my knees replaced and I tried to swim as part of my rehab and swimming is very hard. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you know, water polo is just, I think, one of the most exhausting sports out there because you are in a high friction environment, right? You are, you're in yeah. water and you're pushing against other people, right? You're trying to, kind of like wrestling, you're trying to impose your will um, on your opponent over a period of time, right? It doesn't all yeah. happen right at first. And so it's a fascinating combination of skills and fitness and teamwork that yeah. it takes to really build a team result. Yeah. That, and, and again, those kinds of principles carry over into a lot of things uh, that, that you talk about and, and uh, in your leadership training and those kinds of things and that kind of stuff too. Right. Yeah. So here we are, we've got, uh, you know, one of the premier executives uh, from Amazon back in the day. And he wrote this book, The Amazon Way. And I, you know, I've I've read uh, read some of it and perused most of it. And uh, and so th there is a very <clears throat> specific way. And and now, correct me if I'm wrong. This is something that they teach you, or is this like, uh, is it also patterned 
you know, the kind of things that you noticed going on as well, kind of a combination of those things, or is this more of like a, this is, they handed you the sheet and they're like, Hey, here's the Amazon way. It's primarily like everybody knows, like these are the leadership principles. There's, there's, uh, now 16 uh, leadership principles at Amazon. We can talk about kind of that handful, but um, yeah. there is some training, but it's primarily about, you know, how you're, how you're mentored and understanding those principles. I, one of the reasons I wrote this book was because it wasn't um, other than the principles being written down in Amazon, there wasn't a user manual for them. And I get, notes every week from people either interviewing Amazon or at Amazon <laughs> and the impact that the book has made has been probably, you know, if you, if you look at my segments of, of customers for the book, probably my largest segment, I've sold well over a hundred thousand copies of this book. And my whole goal was to make it, you know, simple, direct and, and fairly actionable. And, you know, when I was at Amazon, so I was at Amazon from early 2002 through late 2005, these principles actually weren't codified. They weren't written down at that point, but we were, we were working them every single day and we were talking about them and like, God, how do we make this decision? How do we hold each other accountable? How do we prioritize our work? Those are the essential things that these leadership principles help do. And, um, and then a couple of years after I left, but my, they, they codified them they wrote them down. But um, my thesis is that, I believe, and I could be wrong about this, but I believe Amazon is the most interesting company of the digital era. And it's partially because of what they do, but it's primarily because of how they do it, right? The yeah. inputs, what they do on a daily basis, and these leadership principles are what form the basis for how people are expected to work at Amazon. And that everyday going to the gym approach is what builds the championship moments and output yeah. that, that you want. And so it really is about like everyday habits. Mine are primarily in kind of the professional context. Mm -hmm. um, but the same, you know, underlying first principle is like, hey, focus more on your inputs and everyday inputs because those are the things that build habits that lead to the, the outputs that you want. Yeah. And naturally, uh, as you might imagine, as a fitness group, uh, we, we tend to agree, you know, like, uh, we, we talk about taking the daily red pill, you know, like the, that matrix reference, you know, <laughs> when we talk about like, Hey, it, whether you like it or whether you don't like it, you just got to get up and you got to do the things that will make you successful. That will make you, uh, you know, as we call it, accelerate, uh, in, in the direction that you want to go, you can buy a lot of crap from anywhere. So it has to, the secret sauce can't be just in the offering or even the amount of crap that you can, I got to stop calling it crap, the amount of items that you can buy uh, from Amazon. So in your mind, outside of a daily focus, what are some of those things that, that guys or, or people ought to be focusing on or in business or whatever it is kind of, what are those habits? What are those things that you've identified? Yeah. So, um, there's a, there's a lot of them, right. Um, and, and in fact, the, the, second, the second book I wrote was called think like Amazon 50 and a half ideas to become a digital leader. And that these books are complementary. The, the Amazon way is kind of the leadership principles and is a, a fairly lightweight read. Think like Amazon is the full owner's manual of mm. like all the mechanisms from Amazon. And so there's at least 50, uh, discrete concepts that I pulled out out of Amazon and, and kind of codified myself. But let's let's start with 
a couple of things. So there are 16 leadership principles at Amazon, a few of the most, I think, kind of famous and universally applicable. So the third leadership principle is called invent and simplify. What I always thought was interesting was that we recognize that simplifying was as important and as hard as inventing. Inventing sounds really hard to do. You know, you have to, you know, be a scientist and have a patent and all that sort of stuff. Well, simplification, what we came to recognize is not only is simplification critical, the absolute essence of what a great customer experience is, it's also the most important work you do to help scale your company, simplifying your processes, your procedures, your policies, your work descriptions, your information flows, your technology, that is what allows you to scale, truly scale a capability. And scale means meant something really specific at Amazon. It means being able to do more on an improving efficiency basis, right? So whether that mm-hmm. more is orders or units or bits, to truly scale, you have to be able to do it on a more efficient basis. What happens at most companies is starting off, they're actually getting that scale, right? Hey, we're doing more, we're getting more efficient at it. But then they reach a certain size or they they merge or they do other things. And then all of a sudden, even though you still have growth, you're actually not becoming more efficient. You, you start introducing friction and complexity. And so what the everyday habit is, is like how to look at how work gets done within a company and, and being willing and, and having the skills to dissect it, being brave enough to, to have the tough conversations about how do we simplify this work? And that is what allows you to scale. So that's one, you know, at a high level concept that I think it, it, across any industry, most businesses of any size have this issue of complexity. And, and I think complexity is a, is a fundamental business issues that most companies, if they, if they attack their business through a complexity lens, they would actually see a very different set of opportunities in order to drive growth and to drive profitability. So that's, that's one. Um, another one that I think is, again, kind of universally actionable is um, called bias for action. And it reads like this, speed matters in business. Many decisions and actions are reversible and do not need extensive study. We value calculated risk-taking. Understanding the balance between analysis and getting background versus making a decision is really important. We had a simple mechanism at Amazon, a simple metaphor for Uh for that. And that metaphor was one-way doors versus two-way door decisions. A one-way door decision- Help me with that one. Yeah, a, a one-way door decision is a decision that is irreversible or extremely hard or expensive to to, to reverse. So okay, okay. an example of that might be a merger or taking on debt or something like that. Like those are one-way door decisions. What do you need to do in one-way door decisions? You slow them down. You better you be right. <laughs> conversations about them. Yeah. Um, you bring them to the center and and get lots of input, right? A two as opposed to a two-way door decision. A two-way door decision is a decision that you can study a little bit, but you can make it 
And if you're, if you're wrong or you need to adjust it, it's relatively easy to come back. Right. And what, what uh, happens in most companies is like, you don't understand like, okay, there's different types of decisions. And essentially, is this a decision that should be made kind of with appropriate pace and speed, or is this a decision that needs to really be brought to the center? And what happens at most companies is everybody defaults to one-way door decisions. They (laughs) They treat everything like it's a one-way. One-way door decisions, they they slow things down. It's what kills kind of accountability. It kills um, ownership. It kills entrepreneurship within companies. And so if you can build and understand within a team of like, hey, we have different types of decisions to make, some of which we need to proceed with with uh, with speed, some of which we need to make sure we slow down. Well, that helps out. But you can't, and this is why there's a number of leadership principles because you can't just be rapid fire and inaccurate. There's there's a leadership principle that complements this, which is are right a lot, and it reads: leaders are right a lot. They have strong judgment and good instincts. They seek diverse perspectives and work to disconfirm their beliefs. So, what's really interesting about that leadership principle is the fact that it it says like, hey. In both these modes, a good leader still has the instincts and the experience in order to, to be right more often than not. And that's a that's a competitive advantage, right? If you're in Las Vegas and you're you're making a lot of bets, if you can be right a little bit more, you're gonna be the winner <laughs> be okay. versus the leader. Is that the, something uh, that can be taught? Um, um or is that something yeah, that's kind of yeah, innate? Well, I think it is a lot of like, this is why experience matters on, on one hand. Right. Um, But I also do think that if you, if you study and evaluate, like, how do we actually make decisions and on what basis, what are the factors, you know, what are the, you know, sometimes I try to break my decisions down into, into formulas. So you, you may not know the exact equation, but like, okay, like, what am I trying to optimize for? What are the inputs I have? What are the risks and variables I know of? And so if you're more systematic about how you make decisions, two real powerful things come out of that approach. One is you're going to make better decisions over a period of time. And two is you can pass your, your, your approach forward, right? What's so important, especially when you're in kind of the innovation game is many of your decisions are counterintuitive. It's not what the consensus would uh, decide on, right? Like that, that's the essence of, of most innovation is a non-consensus decision. But when you're a leader and you're making a decision that may be counterintuitive, counter-traditional, truly innovative, you need to explain your rationale to your team, right? You don't, it's not, it, don't, don't confuse this with group decision-making or a democracy, you know, and everything. It's, it's the opposite of a democracy, but you do want to pass on like why I think this is the right yeah, way. It, it's, it's more about the communication amongst the team. It sounds like. Exactly. Just, and and yeah. you, you bring them on board, you help them feel like, okay, even though I'm not a decision maker, I'm included in the decision-making process and they start to understand the logic so that they're building their own capabilities in, in how to make decisions, right? So you're growing your team. So that's a, a, a complementary skill that's needed is, is kind of like how to make decisions, how to be more right, how to communicate them effectively and how to help pass on your logic. You know, that is, uh, and again, we have kind of 
some language in F3 that is that that speaks to those kinds of, of principles. But I love how you've kind of really boiled it down to, uh, and I'm really fascinated by the one way, two way, uh, you know, the door. two way door. Yeah, like that's that is a it's a critical sticking point for I think a lot of leaders, certainly in business, but but especially in our world where. You know, John, this is kind of a, it's a loose organization, right? right? And we've got leaders all over the world that are doing all kinds of things on their own. But I feel like there are some places where we get almost paralyzed because we, we have a faulty belief that every decision is a one-way door or that it somehow uh, we, can, we must drive everything toward a one-way door. When really we could make smaller, less fatal decisions. Test and test and learn decisions, right? Yeah. That's, that's what the entire kind of agile manifesto and movement is about, is how do you test and learn faster and and test the, the most critical things first versus mm-hmm. the easy things first, the things you understand well first and, and isolating and minimizing the, the size of the decisions you're making so that you can truly learn from your experiences and what you're doing in the market. Yeah. And these things really build on one another because I mean, where you started was simplification, Right now, I don't know. I mean, you know, you could look at Amazon and go, "That's a that's a vastly complicated engine. Oh, it's a vastly sure. complicated yeah. business. I mean, there's tons and hundreds of thousands of of employees and moving parts, and it's just too, way too complicated. So, how do you take something that's that large and try and figure out how do you how do you simplify something like that? Well, a couple um, of key approaches there. The first is the leadership principles themselves. If you can get your, your, your leaders, your managers, your people more or less oriented to the same uh, perspectives um, and tenants of how we operate, then you're going to, you're going to simplify the business, right? You're getting everybody on the quote unquote, the same page. The second thing is they really work to, to um, put leadership, put accountability as close to the customer, as close to the business as possible versus trying to aggregate it all into a big central core. And so teams, small teams that own true capabilities and own the results from those capabilities. So there's one type of team called a two pizza team. Like they try to organize because, because Amazon. Does that mean like you can't have enough people on it that you would have to order more than two pizzas? Yeah. You can't have more than 10 people (laughs) on a team. Right. Um, And that's the whole essence, which is is small teams, small companies, they, they innovate better. They operate better. They have more fun. uh, They have more accountability. Um, and so Amazon tries to break down a very big company and a complex business into smaller atomic units, right? L- little tiny team units uh, that can operate more independently um, than not. And then, you know, I think the third way that they try to simplify their business is by the pervasive use of technology and metrics in the business, right? And so if you, if, if you start with how do I simplify, the design principle being how do I simplify, and then you add in technology to try to automate away the repetitive non-value-added activities, 
over time, you're going to be able to scale that business so much more. And you're, you're really focused on collecting rich data, the exhaust from those processes, right? Which is what data is to then drive a continuous improvement mindset into processes that really matter at Amazon. Those are the things that help break a very big and complex business into smaller units and on whole, let's a very big company continue to be one that strives for ownership, strives for entrepreneurship, strives for growth, um, and is trying to actually accelerate and not slow down, which is what yeah. most big companies do. They stop taking risks. They start slowing down. They, they, they start holding the reins too tight in terms of what got them there from the, the, the yeah. start. Risk starts playing a factor, and then we start getting scared. And then we're like, "Well, we got to control right. everything centrally, or else we're going to be in big trouble because someone's going to do something stupid, and then we're going to have a problem." Yeah, yeah. Um, Reed Hoffman, who's one of the founders of LinkedIn, he has a a, a quote that gets to that very well, and he goes, um, "You know, ironically, um, the biggest risks that most big companies have today is the fact that they are not." failing, they're not being entrepreneurial enough, uh -huh. right? Um, and, and over, you know, risk is always time bound, right? And so, yeah. you know, in the short term, your risks are completely different. But if you think over the next five to 10 years, the real risk for most companies is that they slow down, they stop yeah. growth, they stop, they stop exploring and wandering and innovating um, and creating new customers, new use cases, new products, new solutions. And I think that's one of the, the, the things I do with my clients is I help them understand there's essentially two playbooks they need to understand, right? One is kind of their operating playbook. And most of us are pretty good at that, but there's still ways to, to leverage digital capabilities to become better at that and become better operators. The second playbook, the complementary one, is the innovation playbook. How do we develop hypotheses for what we think the new concepts are? How do we test and learn those as quickly as possible? How do we have a portfolio of these bets that we're doing in order to understand what, what, our, what our betting pool is essentially um, versus you know this one big bet and that and and that playbook is completely different and if you if you apply the same um, approaches in your operating playbook as you do to your innovation playbook a bit, it, it will fail full stop yeah so, yeah you're you're applying the wrong kinds of because solutions be, to, be, yeah. in the in the main essence is is because of what you're trying to optimize for right when you're when you're in your operating playbook you're optimizing for those typical types of business results a great customer outcomes sure. uh, you know satisfaction uh, and things like that but then you know you want your financial outputs when in your innovating playbook it's about learning as quickly as possible and getting to market and seeing how your customers react and then developing a thesis for well how, you know what exactly is it that we're going to go to market with and then how do we scale that well that's a completely different set of optimization factors that you're trying to optimize for but what happens at most companies they apply the same playbook and and someplace along the line somebody will ask well, you know, prove it, right? Or, well, what's your financial forecast next year? Or, yeah. you know, what's your, wh how, how are you going to improve profitability for this? Well, that's a fair question, but it's asked at the wrong moment in time. And that completely destroys 
the comfort level and the confidence of your team in order to continue to test and learn. And test and learn yeah. is failure, right? Yeah. If you think about most science, most science starts from a position of failure, and then we slowly earn our way to learning and success. Innovation is the same way. Assume you're going to fail at first, and then you're going to iterate your way to success. Most, most business operators don't understand that. No, I, I, that is super fascinating. So, uh, so many things in there that I want to ask. <laughs> uh, went by pretty fast there. Um, so a couple things. One, this idea that uh, you said you're asking the questions at the wrong time about like profitability. Yeah, yeah. That, I, I always say. Like, I always are you say, asking too early? Is that what it is? Yeah, too too early. Typically, I always say you know you're asking the right question but at the wrong time, right? Yeah. Um, and, and it's typically too early because you don't understand like, hey, we're in a innovation phase right now. We're in a test and learn phase versus in kind of our scaling phase. And you have to be, you know, really understand like, when am I experimenting, trying to get to, you know, minimally valuable products and, and things like that versus when am I scaling versus when am I scale that I'm trying to optimize essentially kind of three phases for a product, a service, or a business. Man, yeah, yeah, and you know it's funny you say product, service, or business, but I mean I'm I'm sitting here listening to you and going, or a community organization, or heck, John, a, a family. I mean, right. you know, you can break this thing down as uh, you know, if you want to be a a successful, you know, father, husband, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? Like, quit making so many one way doors. Here's the fun idea: simplify. You know, here, you know, like there's so many uh, applicable um, principles that that come across the whole thing. So, but in, in, in our, in our world in F3, you know, we've got a fairly decentralized model and we allow these guys to, you know, kind of run themselves in their local regions, you know, and, and we've boil it down to, Hey, look, as long as you're living by the mission and the five core principles, you know, and, and you adopt the credo, right. Then we're, we're kind of saying, Hey, you're F3 and do your thing. Right. We, we try not to over govern or anything like that. But one of the things you mentioned too, is that it, this idea of data and, and looking uh, and asking the wrong questions at the wrong times, uh, as, as you mentioned, or asking the right questions, but at the wrong times. Um, and, and in our world, you know, one of the things I keep seeing is guys who get very focused on, um, uh, you know, like how many guys are coming out to workouts or how many guys are we putting through, you know, whatever program or this kind of a thing when, maybe that's too early because really the question ought to be, how are we, how are we embedding the culture in the men that are already here or, or, or some other question like that? But I feel like as men, and maybe you find this to be true as well, that we get so results oriented and we get so caught up in, well, if it's not tangible, if I can't put it on a piece of paper and say like, this is what we did, then we're afraid to do it. Is it would you say that that is something that you run into? Yeah. Um, I, you know, part of what you're talking about is, um, about loyalty. Right. And, okay. um, I, I, I would think one of the real important measures of impact in your business, it, it's not just like initial participation, but how many stick with it for a period of time. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and so understanding like, the balance of kind of new customer acquisition versus churn might be an interesting way to um, evaluate, you know, kind of the challenge mm -hmm. uh, that you're talking about. And I think the other thing that happens in, in any kind of business 
is, and this is why data and true customer obsession is so important. Amazon's first leadership principle is about customer obsession, is that what we don't like to hear is criticism, right? We don't like to, we, we, we don't like to get critical feedback. Mm-hmm. And but critical feedback is actually how you learn, how you get how you get better, right? Think about any coach you've ever uh, played for. Like, you know, while you need while you need a little bit of, of encouragement, it's being able to appropriately give critical coaching, uh, which is mm-hmm. which is, is the critical part. One of my my favorite movies is uh, is Whiplash, and I don't know if you ever saw that movie. Um, I have not. Remind yeah. me who's in that one, though. Well, uh, I couldn't tell you the names, um, um, but it's the story of a young drummer, a jazz drummer, and he's oh, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's he's developing into a world class jazz drum right and so it's not a story of like how do you get to good it's about a story of how do you get from good to world class and he has to he 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 plays for his instructors this abusive uh jazz horrible man uh, instructor a horrible man right um at the end of the movie if you remember the they're they're having a meal together they've kind of reconciling a little bit and the instructor tries to explain to him why he had such abusive and i'm not at all <laughs> excusing the abuse yeah, not, but, but no. his his perspective is interesting which is um he says the two most destructive words in the English language, it are good job, right? We don't learn when we get feedback that is essentially the essence of good job. You learn by getting critical, uh, more supportive, but critical. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to be abusive. Right? Yeah, you don't have to be throwing yeah. drum thimbles at people, you know, and everything, right? Um, and and I think that's what data, if you're truly focused in on data and trying to zero in on like, well, where's where's the the signal in this data? And the signal you're looking for is like, well, where isn't the customer experience great? Where's not where's our operations not fantastic? That's a great way to continue to stay humble learn from what's actually the facts of the situation. We always talked about truth seeking at Amazon, right? Like it's, it's, it's easy to, to take the easy um, learning, but like, what's the real root cause? You got to dig deeper and, and data and intuition are the complement that you need to really get to the truth of it and then make adjustments, right? Try something new, try a little tweak on something that's, the championship habit of like how you get better over time is by yeah. listening, testing, adjusting. And, and is it uh, in the case of Amazon? I mean, it, it's a lot of uh, customer feedback and and listening, isn't it? That has that has driven kind of the and shaped the model for how Amazon's approached basically everything. It, 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 I mean, it, 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 like I said, the, the first leadership principle, probably the most famous is customer obsession. You can't have just customer obsession though. Right. And that's why the rest of these yeah. leadership principles are needed. Explain to me customer obsession just a little bit though. Like what, what would that mean outside of, of business? Let's say. Outside of it. I mean, the, the essence of customer obsession is to care so deeply about your customers first that you're willing to make you, you, whenever you optimize for one thing, you have to be willing to sub-optimize for other things, sure. right? Yeah, so yeah. if you optimize for customer experience, 
you're willing to do really hard things and to innovate in order to continue to improve their their customer experience. And there, I always think about kind of tactical customer centricity or customer obsession and then strategic customer obsession. So tactical customer uh, uh, satisfaction or, or customer centricity is like, how do I get today's customers, today's experience and today's orders as close to perfect as possible, right? So I am delivering today, I'm gonna make it fantastic today. Strategic customer centricity is about being curious about the the probably the longitudinal or slightly broader customer experience. What 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 what's going on outside of exactly how I'm serving the customer today? And that curiosity, that's essentially curiosity from your customer. Then you'll learn, well, you know, what's a broader way that I can service this customer upstream or downstream from how I'm working with them? And then you can decide, like, well, do I, you know. Um, develop a unique offering to help serve that customer need, that customer problem, bigger and broader. That's really been the essence of Amazon's uh, now 27-year history is like looking at the customer experience and going upstream and downstream in the pursuit of delivering a great customer experience today, but it's taken them, it's, it's allowed them to do things that nobody else would have ever done. Right. And it's because like, while they are highly aware of financial impacts, they are not trying to optimize for today's or this quarter's financial results, right? They're, they're long-term investors in their business. That is uh, boy, that's telling, isn't it? Um, because I, I dare say that that is to your point, kind of the, the uh, backwards, not backwards, but uh, the outside you know, it is the reverse. Counterintuitive. Right? I mean, counter-intuitive. Yeah, yeah, counterintuitive. That's where I couldn't. Oh, I couldn't come up with that word. Uh, it wasn't intuitive enough. I couldn't come up with it. Um, but uh, but that's because it, it does feel like well, you should be you should be optimizing for right now, because right now is right now. We can't we can't predict what's going to happen in the future. We've got to we've got to worry about today, and and that sort of um, at the risk of sounding judgmental, but that sort of visionless uh, approach. Um, is I think what gets a lot of us in trouble, isn't it? It, it is, you know, short term, short termism is a real word, uh, even though I can't say it. Um, and it's a real factor in corporate governance. And that essentially is about trying to optimize for this year, this quarter's financial results and not making the investments right in innovation in your people, in training, in systems, in infrastructure that helps you build a business that is more lasting than that, right? Those are true investments. Um, And so it does, you know, uh, take away from this quarter's results, but that's, that's the, the tricky calculus you have to be making yeah. is like, you know, how, how do I prioritize between long-term results? And, and the second leadership principle at Amazon gives a little bit of their perspective on this. And um, here's what, how this leadership principle reads. It reads, leaders are owners. They think long-term and don't sacrifice long-term value for short-term results. They act on behalf of the entire company 
beyond just their own team. They never say, that's not my job. So that's their answer, which is like, hey, we do need to deliver results today, but we never sacrifice long-term enterprise value in the pursuit of short-term results. That's one perspective you could have. Yeah. It's like, it's the old, you're stepping over dollars to get the dimes kind of thing. You're, you're, right. you're not focused on the bigger picture of what, what could be because you're just you bog yourself down in the, in the and, and, and oftentimes if you if you you know constraints are important factors in how we innovate and so if the constraint is hey i have to be both both be building for long term enterprise value and get the right short term results how do i accomplish all this right that can force you into a different um problem space that helps you develop an actual better answer than you would have uh, otherwise. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we talk sometimes about in, in F3, we talk a little bit about uh, the idea that, you know, leadership, big transformational leadership, right? Tactical leadership sometimes is, is pretty straightforward, pretty easy to handle, but big, big time, you know, big picture transformational kind of leadership, it requires you to take and, and make decisions about if I do this, then I get dynamically less of this other thing. And, and there's all these competing values on both sides. And, and we talk about it as tentpole leadership as though, you know, we have to be the guy in the middle and there's all these little strings on all the edges of the tent that are trying to keep the tent up, you know, and if let one pull too far and, you know, and it's not, uh, that doesn't relate to taking like a centrist position so much as it is learning how to at different times, you know, pull a little harder on that one and make sure that one's a little more taut and whatever it might be, but it's, it's constantly looking for the, the right rhythm of decision-making uh, as you, because if I pull on this side of the tent, that side of the tent moves and I can't, right. I can't keep those things from, from being independent of one another. Right. I think, you know, a lot of the work I do is around helping uh, business leaders understand, you know, this word leadership is kind of a amorphous, <laughs> term, most of us think like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of a leader or I'm not a leader. It, actually, like leadership, it, it's very situational. What's the situation and what's the mission that I'm trying to accomplish? Mm. And it is a, a process. There is a skill involved. And what I try to do is take this amorphous concept of like, I need to create a culture or a leadership for innovation and growth. How do I take that from kind of a, a fuzzy notion into like some, some guidelines to help do it. And then some specific habits that are in line with that, those guidelines in order to do that. And the little inputs that we talked about, the, the things I do every day that need to be in, in alignment to that, right? And if, you, and if you can make that connection from, well, what's my situation? What's my mission that I need to do? Then what are some tenets? I don't call them rules because rules are too rigid, right? Like tenets. Yeah, we don't like the rules. We don't talk about rules. Right, right, right. Yeah. Are, 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 are more fungible uh, mm -hmm. things um, and they take wisdom to use the right ones at the right time and then create mechanisms or little things we do that are in support there. That combination of kind of strategy um, really helps with good intentions and with enough practice really change the tone and tempo in an organization to, you know, create more accountability, create more ownership, create more orientation to getting the right results in the right way and, and more orientation mm -hmm. towards innovation, like solving problems better. And 
last question, John, because if you can believe it, we've, we've kind of blown through our time here. Um, but uh, so in your estimation, you wrote this book down, you codified all the kind of, you know, really put it in a structure so that it's more followable and more actionable. So if, I, don't, I don't know if the right question is, do you have a favorite or maybe what is the most important? Um, but if, if you had to say, hey, look, here's where to start today. The most important strategy that I can give you or the most important tip that I can give you to, to start today, what would you point to? Well, um, I, I, I kind of resist the notion of the, of that question <laughs> because it's, it's situational, right? That's um, fair. Okay. But, um, it, it, it truly is. And that's why, you know, I get, I, I get a lot of like the same, this same question or the same reaction, like, Oh, this is a lot of stuff like, Hey, boil it down for us, you know, and everything. Yeah. Right. But, but, um, while I resist it, I will answer it. Right. And so if there's one thing that I find kind of universally, um, companies and teams don't do well is they don't truly understand the broad customer experience and the details of that customer experience and have metrics that give them indications into the signals where the problems are, the friction is, and then, then, you know, very actionable and truth-seeking conversations in order to go, well, what should we do about that, right? And so that combination of kind of customer experience and metrics is, is pretty, like, it's tough to go wrong starting there in any situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Man, uh, truly, I say this a lot just because I am blessed to talk to a lot of interesting people, I guess, but uh, I could spend another hour uh, asking questions and, and diving in. But here we are. Uh, John Rossman, my gosh, the Amazon way, friends, go go to Amazon <laughs> and get your copy uh, for sure. But also um, head over and, and I would encourage you to do this because I, I did the same and, and I think it's uh, an interesting um, read and it's something that you know comes on a regular basis, and that is uh, the digital leader newsletter that John puts out. Go to the Amazon wayecom newsletter uh, and subscribe um, because uh, a he's building an audience there, and I think that's uh, we want to be supportive. But also th- this kind of stuff, these these sorts of principles and things. This is what John talks about all the time. And man, I tell you what, if you if you couldn't pull something out of today. That can't you know, that, that doesn't help you with uh, everything from and I mean it for everything from your marriage all the way up to uh, you know your executive uh, work that you do or you know all all the things this this touches it all because really it's a it's not even that it's that it's uh, super revolutionary but it is a great way that it is codified to help you to be intentional and that's where I think a lot of times we fall down is we end up reacting to the things around us. But this is a, a really a, a strong approach of how to be intentional uh, in your life. So I commend it to you, men, uh, and I, I hope that you will go and check it all out. John, thank you again very much for being with us. Frank, great to meet you. Thank you very much. A Monday warrior, mean, mean stride. Today's Tom Sawyer, mean, mean pride. Thanks for listening to the 43 Feet Podcast. If you like what you heard on the show, or if it's helped you in some way, we'd ask you to rate us, write a review, and share us with your friends and networks. It really does help others to find us. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, write us at questions at 43feetpodcast.com. 
or tweet us at 43feetpodcast. The climb we're on to create virtuous leaders isn't going to be easy, but we'll get there, 43 feet at a time.